Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Of course, they just come out of slavery in Egypt, and the first thing Moses wants to do is, in, is a fundraising campaign, right? You know, like that's probably not on his mind. But he just asked the people, you know, pray about what you would give. And all of a sudden, the money starts coming in, and they end up having more than enough, you know. And so I just see that as this past week, we, we just felt a burden to bless th- these kids. And we were less than half of our goal. And we just said, okay, God, you know, you've got this. You know, we're just, we're looking for 4000 and over and above because we have an over and above God. And so we're excited to, to partner, and I'm excited to... Uh, get that sent off and see uh, how the Lord blesses those kids, and uh, I know it'll be a blessing to you. So we are in week five of our uh, holiday series, Family Matters, and we've been talking about all sorts of issues that arise during the holiday season, like calendar chaos and that relative that just gets under your nerves and and, uh, the generosity of the Spirit and uh, last uh, week, we were talking about doing real good, and we, we set out a challenge to the church we called Operation Do Good, and what we're challenging uh, each and every one of us is to pray about who God would put in your life, who God would, uh, maybe uh, it's somebody you know, maybe it's somebody you don't know, but you come across, that you would undercover, under the radar, like a Christian ninja, uh, go out and bless them just uh, between you and the Lord, just to do something good. And uh, because we talked about how God sees everything. He knows every plan and thought. He knows everything we do. Whether anybody else sees it or not, God sees it. And real good is a sacrifice we make that doesn't guarantee any benefit in return for us. And it's like an act of worship before the Lord. And it's my belief that if the people of God capture this vision and we just begin to live like this every day uh, that we can, that it's going to create ripple effects in our community for radical change. And I don't know about you, but I believe we need to see some radical change in our culture and in our communities. Amen? Amen. And so today, this is the theme message for the series. This is really what everything's kind of been pointing to as we're looking at the theme of family matters. And yes, we, we're looking at holiday, uh, holiday issues and themes throughout this, this series. But what we want to highlight today, especially in this culture where the traditional understanding of the family has been under attack. I don't know if you've, you've seen this in the news or you've seen what's been happening in our world, but really the traditional understanding of, of marriage has been under fire and the importance, that the blessing that is associated with strong families. Uh, we want to redefine family, and by doing that, we are actually prohibiting God for issuing the blessing, pouring out the blessings that he intended even way back at the dawn of time in creation. In an article by USAID.org, they cite business giant Lee Lacoca. If you don't know Lee Lacoca, he was the CEO during the, the 1960s um, of the Chrysler Corporation and uh, also during the 1980s. He's involved with Ford. He helped uh, design and the, the development of the Ford Mustang and the, the Pinto, you know, some, some really popular rides uh, that have been in times past. But Lee Lacoca, he's on record of saying this, that here's what we know. We know that strong families are the building blocks of strong communities. For a man who's seen many things, many changes, was in, involved in the development of some very pinnacle things in our culture, that's a strong statement. Uh, they continue to write uh, in the, this article, thanks to leaders like Dr. Jack uh, Shonkoff, we know that relationships with other human beings are not a luxury for children. They're an absolute necessity. But you do not need to be a Nobel Prize winning economist or a world-renowned neurologist at Harvard to be able to recognize that children do best when raised by loving and protective parents. For many of us, we need only to reflect on our own life experience to understand the impact that a loving embrace or encouraging words have in times of stress. So we don't have to do the latest studies. We don't have to invest all the time in doing the research. We just need to look at our own experience. 
to see how our own family lives impacted us. So there's something unique and uniquely significant about the nuclear family, a husband, a wife, and their immediate family. There, there's something powerful here, and it continues to profoundly impact the world in a positive way, which is the tragedy of trying to redefine marriage and try to break down or redefine what is and what isn't considered family. Carl Zimmerman was a Harvard University sociologist, and he studied the rise and fall of major empires in world history. Imagine having that as a life's endeavor, researching the empires of the past and trying to figure out what made them successful and what ultimately led to their downfall. I don't know how much hair he had, but it was probably not very much. You know, that it just seems like that was, you know, it's like the guy that, that, uh, that wrote the Strong's Concordance that, that took every Hebrew and Greek word put a number next to him to the correlated English word in the New I mean, I, I bless the man for that, for that resource, but you know he was a couple of fries short of a Happy Meal. You just have to know. He, he wasn't all right. He wasn't all there, right? But we appreciate the conclusion of his, of his work. Carl Zimmerman in, published a work in 1947 called Family and Civilization. And he concluded that families go through three different phases. And just before a nation or an empire collapses, the families of the nation look like this. And an author summarized his findings in an article this way that there are eight specific patterns of domestic behavior that typified the downward spiral of each culture. Here's what Zimmerman discovered. One, marriage lost its sacredness and is frequently broken by divorce. Traditional meaning of the marriage ceremony is lost. There's an acceleration of juvenile delinquency, promiscuity, and rebellion occur. There's a refusal of people with traditional marriages to accept family responsibilities. There's a growing desire for an acceptance of adultery that's evident. There's an incre increased interest in the spread of sexual perversions and sex-related crimes. And this was written in 1947. And he's describing our world, our culture, our nation right now. The downward spiral is happening faster and faster and faster. We can see the clock is ticking in our nation if something doesn't dramatically and drastically change. And the question is, is there an answer to the problem? Is there a solution? Is there, is there a way to stop the downward spiral and reverse course? And before all the Sunday school students in the room cry out, Jesus, which he's always the answer, right? Anytime you're asked a question in church, if you stick with Jesus, you're probably safe. He's probably in there somewhere, I would say. But yes, Jesus is the answer. But when we look at Scripture, we can see it's not just Jesus alone that's the answer, but it's the program, it's the design, it's the order that Jesus designed to bring blessing into the world. And the, so the key verse we're going to look at is Ephesians chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We'll be in verses 13 through about 19. The verses will also be on the screen, or you can navigate to the YouVersion Bible app. But here I just want you to see something that is so profound, and I can't believe I hadn't seen this before, but God just brought this to light as I was preparing for this series. In Ephesians 3.13, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, and he's, he's encouraging them. This is, Ephesians is the book where we get a lot about spiritual warfare. We get a lot about standing strong in the armor of God. This is a, an incredible book that he has written. And here in chapter 3, he says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. So he's in the process of suffering. If you know anything about Paul's life, when he went from place to place to, to start churches and preach the gospel, he endured an incredible amount of difficulty. So he's, he's saying, I don't want you to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. It's your benefit. What, what I'm going through is to bless you. And then he says, verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much for your word. 
I thank you, God, that in this day and time, amongst all the chaos and craziness, you are still on the throne, and you not only reign, but you will reign forever and ever and ever. And as my bride so eloquently declared, God, at the end of the book, the end is already written. The end, you are still on the throne. You are still glorious. You still victorious. And we, God, because you won already a mighty victory, we will be victorious in you as we are risen to live with Christ forever and ever and ever. So God, in this moment, I pray that your heart would be on display. And as you declare your word, as you speak your truth, God, as you are setting us free from lies and deception and mindsets that the world has tried to put upon us, God, I ask you to give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart that understands, and a mind ready to believe everything that you have prepared for us today. And we ask you, God, to fill this place. And all God's people said, amen and amen. So I want you to pause for a moment and just think about the implication of what Paul the Apostle just said. He said, all the families in heaven and on earth are named after the Father. What does it mean to be named after someone? It means to be associated with them, right? right, right. So you have a child and... For some reason, the dad has hubris and thinks his name is the best name, so he names his son, his firstborn son, the exact same name he has, and now you have a junior, right? And then, then the next generation says, well, we better keep this trend going, so now you have the second and the third and the fourth, and you're named after the one who's come before. So Paul is telling us that all families... His heavenly family, the angels of glory, the, the heavenly hosts, and the families of the earth, all families are named after the Father. And not only are they named after, associated, but in the ancient Jewish culture, they had an even deeper revelation in mind for every time, if, you, if you've come here any length of time, you know at the end of every service, we pronounce a blessing on the church. It is the high priestly blessing out of Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may you be filled with his peace. This is the high priestly blessing. And when that blessing is pronounced by, by the people of God, by a priest of God, and how many of you know you are a priest of God? The Bible says you are a royal priesthood. If you're in Christ, you are of the priesthood of the believers. You are appointed for a special anointing in the kingdom of God. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 27, after the Lord gives Aaron this command to pronounce this blessing over the people, here's what the word of God says. He says, after the blessing of the high priest, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So when that blessing is pronounced, God is saying, by nature of the the blessing, the priest is putting the name of the Lord upon the people. And with that name coming upon the people also comes the blessing of God. I will brand them with my name, the Lord is saying. And when you are branded by God, it comes with certain benefits. It comes with his blessing. Eugene Merrill in the Bible Knowledge Commentary on the book of Numbers says this, that the so-called Lord's Prayer is a model prayer, but its purpose is clear. It communicates the desire of the Lord to invest his people with his name. And the name of the Lord is tantamount to the Lord himself, to his presence, to his being, to his nature, to his character. So this blessing becomes a petition that God might live among his people and meet all of their needs. So every time that, that, that prayer of blessing is declared, it's a request to the Lord to come and be with his people, not just to identify us with him, but for God's presence to be with the people and forever to be with the people. And by nature, if we are with the Lord, we will be blessed by the Lord. Now fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus, before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 17, he's praying before the Lord. 
And he also mentions the name. In verse 6, John chapter 17, Jesus says, I've manifested your name. Somebody say your name. So I, the Lord, Jesus, have manifested your name. I've, I've revealed your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, but you gave them to me, right? All the families of the earth were named after you, O God. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now that they know everything you've given me is from you, for I've given them the words you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know the truth that I come from you. And they believe that you sent me. So I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. So, Holy Father, keep them in, what's that say? Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So, how many of you know that Jesus isn't just a name, but he is the name above all names? So, he is the presence of God. He is the manifestation. He said, I've manifested your name. I've come in your likeness, in your glory. I have revealed you. Your presence, your will, your character, your, your personality, I've revealed you to the world. And especially to those who have believed, who've received me. Now, God, I'm petitioning you. Keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one. Jesus didn't just bear the name. He is the name. But when he went to be with the Father, he sent another the Holy Spirit of God, the very presence of God to dwell with his people. He has put the name upon his people. When we placed our faith in Christ, when we trusted him as our Lord and Savior, we received the branding of the Lord, the sealing of the Holy Spirit of God. And he is upon us. His name is on us. We bear the mark in the same spirit who is in us, also blesses us, also leads us, lives in us, lives among us, watches over us to help us fulfill God's purpose in our lives and in the world. He has placed his name upon us. And we are richly blessed. So in Ephesians 3, when, when Paul says every family in heaven on earth is named, how many of you know that not all families serve the Lord? The individuals who have placed their faith and trust in Christ have the name of God placed upon them. But Paul here is saying that not just the individuals who trust in Christ bear the name, but any family unit that is organized as God designed also bears the name. And to be Bore, to bear the name isn't just associating with God, it's to be owned by God. That God is not just here with us, and we are his people, or he is our God, but we are also his people. There's an ownership there that's implied. And so what Paul is getting at, what Paul is revealing to us, is that every family unit that God has designed bears his name, is named after God, because God is not only in charge of them, but he is for them, and he is working in and through them for a specific purpose. So God is not only with the family, he is for the family. He has a very special place on his heart for the family, and that's why he watches over it. Think about the New Testament. When Jesus is asked about divorce, you know, people were always asking him questions about the law, to try to trip him up. And one day, these, these teachers of religious law come and say, well, you know, Moses gave us uh, the opportunity to get divorced in, in the law. He gave us an out. If we, if we were struggling, we weren't happy anymore, we could just get that right of divor divorcement. We could, you know, kick our wives out. And we're all good. What do you think about that, Jesus? And Jesus said a very interesting response. He says, yes, Moses gave you that option because of the hardness of your heart. But that's not what God originally intended. He says, what God has put together, let no one separate. 
Let no one separate. Even though divorce happens, that's not God's original intention. Why? Because he had a purpose for bringing the two together. In marriage, how many of you know that God is the instrument that brings people together? He's the instrument. And so what, what is God's purpose? Why does he bring people together to form families? Well, Malachi 2.15, it says, Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? God is involved in bringing two together, to making you one. And he not only brings you together to form a new union, he was seeking something. And Malachi says, what was the God seeking? He was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. You see, every family, every union of a man and a woman together in the covenant of marriage is intended to produce a generation of godly children for the Lord. And every union is an opportunity to give God the one thing he desires most, and that's a godly family. Why? Because God is for the family. And every family in heaven and on earth is named after God. He desires a family that would bear his name, who would live with him, would live for him, and experience all of his goodness, which is why he designed marriage and family as he did. Because it reflects the divine family, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And through the family, he can accomplish his perfect will. Now, I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, well, Pastor Joey, that's, that sounds really good. Have you seen my family? My family's not experiencing all that goodness. Matter of fact, we're barely hanging by a thread. My marriage stinks. It's a point of misery and frustration. My kids and I are estranged. And I feel like I've done everything right. I've tried everything I can think of under the sun, but nothing's going the way it should. If God intended the family to be the source of his goodness, to be his agent of blessing, why don't I see it? Anybody relate to that? That's you. I understand where you're coming from. I understand that perfect people, imperfect people, trying to build a perfect life together is kind of an impossible task. But you know what? Before the fall, with the first family, we didn't have all the issues we have today. You realize that one moment created every dynamic, every negative dynamic we have in this world? Every one. The moment we chose to go our separate ways, to go our own way, we unleashed all this dysfunction, all of these issues. Sin has created all these problems. So the only way out of having problems is to not have any sin, and that's a problem because all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short. But, beloved, that doesn't make you a failure, and that doesn't make God's word any less true. You see, God foresaw what we would go through, and he's provided a strategy that even in the midst of our brokenness, we can experience God's goodness. And truth be told, without the brokenness we experience, we won't be able to experience even greater levels of his goodness without it. And I think of the story of the prodigal son, right? He turns his back on God, goes his own way, wastes all of his stuff, he comes crawling back to his father, wanting to just to be a servant in the household. And the father throws him a party, gives him a coat, gives him a ring, kills the fatted calf. He's like, let's celebrate. Let's do this thing. And the other son's in the field listening to what's going on. He just can't believe that, that God or the father in this story would celebrate the son like this. He's like, you've never done that for me. And I know the father tells him, like, everything I have is yours. I mean, if you wanted it, you could have just asked for it. But I know what was going through the son's head. Be like, I've never experienced you do that for me. And the reason is because he never experienced the brokenness the other son experienced. So there are, there are things in our life that, that we can experience only through our brokenness and not outside of it. 
And so here, Paul in Ephesians 5, it's, we are looking at this chapter as he's giving the best marital advice to any struggling family. In Ephesians chapter 5, he's talking about, you know, the, the marriage and what it represents. And the key to a strong, healthy family, beloved, are healthy and strong marriages. They're interconnected. And so when Paul in Ephesians 5, he's talking about marriage. He's not saying, hey, you guys have, have been doing a great job. Keep it up. No, he's saying, look, there's some things that are out of balance, that are out of whack. And this stuff, if it continues this way, it's going to continue to bring and bring that brokenness that you're experiencing. But if you would reorient yourselves in such a way, you will be able to experience the goodness that God intended in your relationship. And in this chapter, Ephesians 5, Paul encourages husbands, you need to love your wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church. Take your cues from Jesus. And how did he live? He lived to serve, to love, to give of himself, to put the bride before himself. When he was falsely accused, he didn't try to defend himself. He stayed silent before his accusers. When he was wrongfully condemned, he didn't fight back. He took it on the chin, and he stayed faithful even to the point of death on the cross. Why? Because he loved his bride. And husbands, if you want your wife to honor and respect you the way the bride, the church, honors and respects Christ, it begins through sacrificial love. You give up yourself. It's, it's not about what you want to do for the weekend. It's about what's going to take care of and bless your wife, bless your bride. It's not about being right. It's about being holy. It's not about standing up for what's right. When, man, she just doesn't have a right to talk to me that way. You don't have any rights except the right to humble yourself and love your bride. Oh, and wives, you're to honor your husband as if you were standing in the presence of God Almighty. Just as the church submits to Christ, so you wives must submit to your husbands and everything. Out goes the lie, I don't need to respect him until he's worthy of it. Because he is the representative of Christ in your relationship. And he doesn't have to earn your respect for you to give it to him. Paul says, you need to treat your husband like you would treat Jesus if he were in the situation. How would you talk to Jesus if you disagreed with him? If he had a different plan or a different idea or maybe decided to do something else? How would you talk to him? How would you honor him? That's how you honor your husband. You willfully deny yourself to prop up the one that God has brought you together. And as the husband is sacrificing and giving of himself for his bride, and the bride in turn is reverencing and honoring the husband, the two are coming together mutually benefited for the good of both of them. That God's unconditional love would overflow in the lives of both the husband and the wife. And you know what that does? That creates the safest and most secure home environment for any child ever born. To see two imperfect people willingly give up themselves, not cling to their rights, not keeping records of wrongs where you always do this and you always do this and until you start doing this, I'm not going to do this and I'm not sorry unless you're sorry and, and, and all this garbage that we do day in and day out, that's what perpetuates the brokenness. But when people of God say, I'm not going to model the world, I'm going to model Christ and I'm going to lay it down, I'm going to take it because that's what Jesus did to me and I'm going to do it for one reason only and that's the love of God to be manifest in my home and in my life, marriage can turn around, families can turn around, and strength can return to the household. A husband who sacrifices for his wife has his wife's heart. She'll follow him anywhere. She'll submit to anything. A woman who reverences her husband is a woman who has her husband's heart. He'll listen to you until he passes out. Which for me these days is about 9 o'clock. 
but you don't have your spouse's heart when you're constantly fighting for your rights and worrying about how you've been wronged. When we love each other the way God intended, it creates an environment of security and confidence for our children to grow up in. And look what Paul says here in Ephesians 3 in our key text. After he says the families of heaven and earth are named by the Lord, that God is for your family. He is rooting for your family. He's with your family. He's guarding your family. He says, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. There's so much in this one little section of Scripture, but the point is this. The reason why... God took Adam's rib and made woman. He took what was one and made them into two so that he could bring the two back into one was that through their union there could be something produced in their love which is a child that would be a physical manifestation of the love of the two into physical reality and that the child would embody the love that was shared between the two in marriage and together they'd form a family that would reflect his glory for all eternity. And when Adam breathed into, when God breathed into Adam the breath of life, a son was born and a byproduct of eternal love experienced in the divine family with the Godhead that now the Father, Son, and Spirit had an object of affection that manifested in their first child. And then there came Eve, and now God had another uh, daughter, and then the two brought another child, and they had children, and now the family was growing, and it's a reflection of God's eternal love. As his eternal family began and began to grow. As God declares, let us make man in our image. That is less of a description of our physical nature and more of a description of our state of being. We were imaged. We were created to reflect his glory in the world. And what does we see God doing but creating families? Building families. That the world would be filled with the glory of God. So that the world can reflect his goodness through the family. Paul says you are named and you are claimed. And through your family, he desires to bring about this love. This love that is so great you can't fully comprehend it. It's a four-dimensional love. It's not just height and width. It's also length and breadth. It fills every space in every direction. It's greater than what we can comprehend. And it's God's desire that we would experience that love through the family. But beloved, as we know the story, sin happened. It severed us from the Father. The bond between us and God was broken. But through Christ, that bond has now been restored. Amen? He restored it. And how did he restore it? He sent Christ on a mission to save, but not just save individuals. When he promised Abraham that Messiah would come through his line in Genesis 12, 3, God said, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And who? All the families on earth will be blessed. The mission of Messiah wasn't just for individuals. It was for whole families to reconcile the families of the earth to God. That by the nature of their makeup and their restoration to God, they would perpetuate his glory and manifest his love. And how did he do that? In Ephesians 1.5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. So we were lost to the family of creation, the divine family. He sent a savior to rescue the family by adopting us back into his family once again. Through the work of Christ on the cross, we were restored to our original purpose to image God. And then he added a ministry to all the families that have been reconciled and restored. A ministry to help God in his endeavor. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19 says, All this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God's given us this task of reconciling people to him 
For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us, somebody say us, he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. So when Jesus came to restore, to rescue families, and he paid the ultimate price, he then handed the job over to us who've been reconciled and said, now I want your families to go reconcile the other families. I want your life to be one that draws the world's families, draws the world to me, that I want to redeem families. Families, especially Christian families, are to be agents of reconciliation as we experience God's grace and goodness personally, and we extend that to our family members in our lives, and God's changing and transforming them. We become a model and a picture of how to redeem the rest of the world. So that the world can, if they don't have a Bible, they can look at our families and see the gospel. As the husband mirrors Christ and the wife mirrors the bride, they can see the reconciliation of God and how we love and treat one another. As Paul said in Ephesians 3, God's desire is that Christ would dwell in us, his presence would abide in us through faith, that our identity would be so rooted and grounded in his love, the love that surpasses knowledge that's too big, too great, too gracious, too merciful, too kind, his four-dimensional love that fills every space, that that love would be on proud display in our lives as God redeems the family. And there are really two families that we are blessed to be a part of. There's our family of the flesh. This is your immediate family. This is those in your household, those in your bloodline. And then there's the family of the Spirit. This is the body of Christ. Do you realize wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, you have family? Whoever believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is your brother, is your sister. So we have family everywhere. Wherever the gospel is being preached and Jesus is being worshipped, you should feel at home. We're formed in families so that the world would be blessed and see the glory of God. And this, beloved, is why God hates it when people instigate or perpetuate dysfunction in families. The book of Proverbs records seven things that God hates. And in the midst of the list, in Proverbs 6.19, it records not only does he hate a false witness who pours out lies, but a person who sows discord in a family. Someone who sows discord in a family. A person who doesn't just create drama, but creates division between family members. Who actively works against the peace and harmony that God wants to pour out upon our family unit. Why? Because our communities are oriented around our families. And if our families are dysfunctional, our communities are going to be dysfunctional, which is why Satan has tried so hard since the very first family to steal, kill, and destroy in this area. Think about it. Who's the first person he went after? He went after Eve, who's a part of the first family. If I can get her to lead her husband in the wrong way, I can dismantle the good thing God started. And the moment that took place, what happened down the line? Dysfunction, depravity, sin. Now God's restored it through Christ Jesus. We can overcome sin and temptation. We don't have to do the, the things our flesh wants to do anymore. And what's he do in our families? But sow seeds of division and discord. Why? So we're so preoccupied with our personal problems. We can't look outside of ourselves to share the gospel and be on mission for Christ. He's after the family. So not only does God hate discord in a family, but the word of God also says those that forsake their divine calling to pour into the family they were born into. In 1 Timothy 5.8, he says those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith, and such are worse than unbelievers. God holds a family in such high esteem, he says, those that won't care for their needs of their relatives, especially in their own household, have denied their faith and are worse than unbelievers. Why are they worse? It's because they know better. If you know the Father, 
And you know his heart and his passion for the family. For you to turn your back on your family is to deny the purpose to why you're in the family to begin with. It's to deny his will for your life. A person who forsakes his own blood turns his back on, on his family is forsaking his calling about being used within the family to glorify the Lord, the very reason why God has reached out and reconciled them to begin with. They've turned their back on their faith. And it creates dysfunction and hardship and pain. This is also why God hates divorce, why it's on God's bad list. In Malachi 2.16, says, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, of God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. So guard yourselves in the spirit and do not be faithless. It covers his garment in violence. What's his garment? It's his wife. It's his covering. The husband is the covering to the bride. The bride is the covering to the husband. The New Living Translation says it this way. The Lord says, I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. There are many ways to be unfaithful. God hates divorce for what it does to people, especially in families. The cruelty as it rips them apart. It's opposite of the love and grace that he desires to pour out. It represents and pours out selfishness and pride. Which is why there's admonition to be faithful. To deny the needs in your family. To turn your back on your family is to turn your back on your very faith. I believe not just adultery, but rejecting your family to divorce is also unfaithfulness. Sin tore apart the first family, which created the chaos we, we experienced. God's salvation restores the family. It rescues the world for husbands and wives. It enables us to reconcile with our families. And because God put you together, God chose you to be a family unit together. He did it for the single purpose to reveal his salvation to the world. And we can't take it lightly. It's not an insignificant thing. When Paul says not to be unfaithful to your spouse, again, it doesn't mean cheating on your spouse alone. It means abandoning your spouse emotionally, physically, abandoning your family. So if societies fall, when the family falls apart, then we know from the Word of God it can be rescued by redeeming and strengthening our families, especially Christian families that are centered and built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why this series is called Family Matters. This is why it's called Family Matters, because family matters. It matters more significantly than what we can understand. The effect of the legacy we leave goes further in eternity than what we can comprehend. It matters a great deal more than we realize. And so the question is, is how do we partner with God to save our nation? How do we walk in our calling to be image bearers in our families? We make our families matter. Our family of the flesh and our family of the spirit. We reorient our lives to calm the calendar chaos. If the world is determining our priorities, then we will take for granted the very people God has put in our lives to help reveal his glory and his goodness in the world. If we don't reconcile with that relative, be it in our very own household, then we're going to invite dysfunction. But if we go first in humbling ourselves to bring healing, and we begin speaking life over them and not death, not calling someone an enemy who God's called friend, not waiting for them to hold up their part of the bargain before we start walking in humbleness before the Lord, then we're going to invite dysfunction and not blessing. We become generous with our resources, not just our money, but also our time and our abilities, our talents, even when those don't deserve it. 
Why? Because it's not for our good, it's for their good. I truly believe that God has a great plan for the church. The families are missionaries in the world first to live by example and then to speak the truth. And a question that I've wrestled with this week is that if people got a glimpse at our family behind closed doors, would they have enough evidence to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Would they have enough evidence but what they saw to know that his promises are true, that his goodness is available, that his power is great? And you know, I can't answer yes to that question all the time. Sometimes, maybe. But other times, not so much. But you know what? The Lord reminded me. He said, it's by grace we're saved through faith, not of works. You don't have to feel like a failure. You don't have to feel like you've let God down. Why? Because his name's on your family. He is with you. He is watching over you. He's fighting for you. He's working in you. He's leading you. And he's taking responsibility for, for your family. And I'm thankful that I don't have to do this in my own strength, but that he is with us. So don't beat yourself down. Remember whose name is on you and who's pulling for you. And don't look at all the failures and the flaws, but look to the one who has no failure and has no flaw. The one who's speaking to you now. So as we ring in this new year, the challenge that we have and the question that I have is what do we need to change about us? What do you need to change about you to activate God's healing in your family? What can you begin today to let his glory shine in your home? And for starters, it might be changing some priorities. For others, it might be beginning to war for that relative rather than warring with that relative. For some, it might be to begin being more generous with your resources, with your time, and your availability. Maybe being proactive in blessing those rather than waiting to be blessed. But I believe in my heart in this day and age, God wants to unleash revival, and he's going to do it through our families. As he restores us, as he strengthens us, it's going to strengthen our community. So let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this moment as we just go into a time of prayer and reflection. And we ask you, God, what can I do right now to begin partnering with you to bring healing to my family? What priorities do you need to shift? What do I need to surrender? What do I need to stop doing? And what do I need to start doing? And I thank you, God, that I'm not alone. That your name is on my family. You've claimed it. You own it. And you're responsible for it. And you know the plans that you have for us. It's for good and not disaster. So God... Help me get out of your way and help me start walking in agreement with your good plans. And Lord, as we look at our nation, as we look at the culture, and we see how everything seems to be headed towards chaos and disorder. God, I know that you have a plan and your plan is good. And that no matter what I face or experience, God, you have an open door of blessing on the way. That even through my brokenness, God, I can experience your unconditional, 
unfathomable love. You'll never leave me or forsake me. And God, I thank you that you're restoring. You're restoring. I just hear that in my spirit, God. You're restoring. You're restoring. You're restoring our understanding of the importance of family. You're restoring our connections. You're restoring our willingness to forgive. You're restoring our passion. You're restoring our hope. You're restoring. You're restoring. Because through Christ, all the families of the earth are blessed. So God, we give you praise in this moment. And we thank you, Jesus, for being with us and how you're restoring our families. We invite our prayer team to come forward. And I just want to encourage you with that challenge. What is God speaking to you that you need to begin doing to partner with Him for the healing for your families? What is it you need to lay down? What is it you need to start doing? As Tony leads us, we invite you to stand and respond to what God is speaking to your heart. We invite you to come forward and pray and begin today to help God bring healing to your families in Jesus' name. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.